You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. What's up? So, uh, it's great to be here. I, um, Ken's like, don't embarrass me, Dad, so I'm going to try not to do that. Uh, it's an honor to be with you. Uh, honestly, uh, the, main, the main reason uh, that I am uh, really happy to be here, I want to be able to share on the topic of Chosen. Uh, I want to get to know. It's so great. I've, I've met so many people. Love the parking attendants, love the spot, love the new disciples uh, that I met uh, just coming in here that are just, you know, brand new to the fellowship. But the main thing I want to do, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, is say thank you. Uh, The longer you've been around, the more that you are able to assess different churches, not by necessarily the outward things. And those things are important, but it's how you treat people. And I'm a firm believer that there's a right way to treat people. And where you can tell most is when there are people that can't do anything for you or people that can't do something for someone, and yet they treat that person like a king or like a queen. And we feel like you guys have treated us and you've treated our family so well when they didn't necessarily have anything to offer you that you have shown your quality and for that, we are eternally grateful. I have to say, uh, uh, Reuben, uh, just as dear friend, by the way, Jay Miner hollers at you. So Reuben and Marina and Joe and Sarah and Brian and uh, Karen, by the way, everything that they learned that uh, Derek and Tori learned in all the dating devotionals, now there's a big, they are the ones that are leading a dating devotional and turning point. They're like, I don't know, 15 dating couples, and it's just, they're paying it forward. So those investments are eternal. So thank you. For that, for Greg and Dawn, and for all the people in the campus ministry, and I want to see if I can get the roommates right, uh, Casey and Maui, who's not here, and Christina and Charmaine, Christine and Charmaine, is that right? All right, you know, five spiritual women in the household making it happen, so uh, it, it's just so cool, and obviously so proud of Kennedy, um, you know, there, there are no words, there are no words, so uh, we are the most blessed people living in the most blessed time. And I get a chance to, uh, you know, brag on God today, so that's what I'm going to do. Before we do that, though, I've got a little bit of a spiritual test I want to administer. Uh, and I know those of you in campus ministry and those of you that are beyond the campus ministry, the thing you love most and the thing you're really glad to have come to church to experience is taking a test, okay? So, uh, first of all, how many morning people do we have in here? Raise your hand if you're a morning person. Okay, raise your hand if you're a night owl, who are, by, by, just so you know, the more spiritual people, okay? So, um, how many of you, how many, how many Crest toothpaste people do we have? Crest? Okay, how about Colgate? Over here? All right. How many don't brush your teeth? Uh, actually, never, don't, don't answer that, don't answer that. Okay, how many, how many, um, how many uh, chocolate lovers? How many like chocolate? How many vanilla? Okay, vanilla's better. Okay. Uh, okay, how about this? How many, let's get technological. How many, uh, where's the, are the Android people? The people that feel like that's a superior problem. Okay. Those of us that are in the cult named Apple. How many, how many of us are, okay? Yeah? Okay. All right. 
How about the last one? How about time? How many, uh, how many Laker fans we have? Lakers? No? Clippers? Couldn't care less? Okay, right there. Yeah. Okay. Particularly if you're a Laker fan. All right. So, um, those of you that, uh, let's see, let's do one more. Should we do political? No, we'll stay away from that. Okay, never mind, never mind, never mind. It really is great to uh, have you. And what's cool about God's family is there is unity and diversity. And uh, even though you like chocolate and not, not uh, vanilla as much and you're part of the lesser people, uh, just joking. <laughs> Whatever your inclination is, you are accepted and you are loved by God. And, uh, you know, I thought about uh, what you guys are doing today with the International Day of Giving and how noble that is and how it shows how much you love God by how much you are willing, willing to let God love others through you. And so it's highly commendable. You're going to talk more about that. Uh, but you've been chosen today because Jesus was chosen. So I just want to talk for a few minutes about how cool it was that God chose Jesus to choose us. God decided, you know, I have a people that I love, and I'm going to express my love to them by giving him whom I love more than anybody else to them. There's a story, a guy named Stephen Chalk, Steve Chalk, actually. He, was, uh, he grew up poor in South London, and he was a part of a youth group of a church when he was 14 years old. And he went to a vocational school, and at that school, because, you know, he didn't come from the right family, the right side of the tracks, not from a lot of money, not from a lot of prosperity, they didn't really have vision for him. They sort of said, you know what, you're never going to go to university, you're never going to go to college, you're really not going to amount to much, you probably need to learn a trade uh, because you're not going to be doing anything that's really academically or intellectually inspiring, and you're really not going to make much of a difference. That was sort of the be mediocre, your lot in life is to really not make a difference. We love you, we've got the school here for you, uh, but that's sort of the message. But in his youth group, this little small youth group, at 14 years old, he made a decision walking across, uh, going home from school, and he shares about this. He got the sense that you matter to God, you're important, you're valuable, and you were put here not to take up space and, you know, to use resources and then die. You were put here to make a difference. And so he decided at that moment that God had a better story for him than what the school did. And he said, because of this youth group, I believed that God had a better story for my life than the, than the uh, school where I was going. And so I turned my life over to Christ and became a Christ follower. Flash forward maybe 30, 35 years later, he founded a group called Oasis. Uh, it's called the Oasis Project. And what they do is they take care of homeless uh, kids, particularly abused girls in South London, and they have Hostels, hospitals, schools, they have over 5,000 all throughout the world that take in uh, people that, that are sort of indigent, that really don't have someone speaking vision into their lives, and they change their lives. They actually are awarded schools and given money by the British government for failing schools that nobody else can handle. These guys go in and take over those schools. And they turn these kids' lives around. And the reason they do is because they believe 
that Jesus offered people a better story than the one that they were living. And let me tell you, that is what Jesus was all about. If you want to know what, what was the salient reason Jesus came, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, right? If he had wanted to condemn the world, he could have just left us on our own. We're really good at self-condemnation. We can mess anything up. People can mess anything up. And God had a story from the beginning, and that was he made us in his image. You read the, the creation account, the creation poem in Genesis 1. He made us in his image. He created us, and the scripture says that all these things he made were good, and yet he got to the human race, and we were very good. But then the second part of the story, unfortunately, is like so often we do. Our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, decided they could write a better story for themselves than the one God was going to write. And they felt like God was holding out on them, and so they were duped by the enemy, and they fell, and they retreated from God. And human beings, you and I and others, have been doing that ever since, deciding we're smarter than God. We've got a better plan than God. God's trying to restrict us, and so our best thinking is going to get us beyond where God would get us. And so they fell. But the cool thing about God is he said, I wrote a story. And I know it's a better story because I'm a better author than those people are. I'm smarter than those people are. And I'm going to send someone that is going to redeem the original story. And I'm not willing to settle for people living in Genesis 3 when they're separated from each other and separated in the garden. I'm not willing. I'm going to take them back to Genesis 1 where we were together and I created them in my image And it was very good. And that's why Jesus came. He came to give people a better story and offer people a better story than the one that they were living. Now, we live in tumultuous times, right? We live in some of the most uh, cataclysmic times in terms of religious persecution, in terms of uh, unrest around the world, religious zealotry, and there's barbarism and there's tyranny, and there's terrorism. We live in an unstable time financially. We live in a time where things are changing at light speed in terms of our mores and uh, social norms as a culture and legally and all kinds of things are going on. I mean, we have, you know, the, uh, the uh, what was the, the host of The Apprentice, okay? And, and he's a leading presidential candidate. And all I'm saying, I'm not, I'm just saying we live in really unique times. And sometimes we as disciples, we don't, okay, so what should my attitude be? How should I, what should my posture be, uh, posture be in society? Should I be sort of the gloom and doom, everything, you know, is going down the toilet and life is bad and our best days are behind us and, you know, it's just gloom and doom or should I be Pollyanna, the sun's going to come out tomorrow, everything's going to be great. How do I, as a Christian, position myself? What's my worldview? Through what lens do I look at the world? How do I view the world? What's my posture on campus, in my classes, at work, on on a job, at home, in the neighborhood, uh, when I'm coaching my son's tennis? How do I, what do I project to the world? And my thought today and my message today is that I believe that we are here to tell people that God is for them. God is for you. 
Society may be troubling. The world may be troubling. But he has a better story for you than the one that you are living. In fact, that was Jesus' mission statement. Did you realize before Stephen Covey even wrote about that, you know, seven habits, highly effective people talked about mission statements back in the late night. Jesus had a mission statement. And God sent him to this earth. And he began this uh, guy named Luke, who was uh, one of the seven authors of the New Testament, wrote an account of Jesus' life called a uh, surname Luke. And he talked about the fact that Jesus was baptized. Uh, now, I see there were two people I met earlier. Can you raise your hand? You were just baptized the past couple of weeks. Uh, yes. Remind me of your name. Very exotic name. Say again. Nayeli. Yes. And and who? Caitlin. Okay. Sort of standard. Okay. Nayeli and Caitlin. Okay. Can you guys stand up? Okay. So uh, it's just cool, cool to welcome new people. To God's family, thank you. Not like I hope he never comes back because he embarrassed me. Have you stand up? <laughs> Room's like he's out of here next week. Don't worry about it. So, um, but like these young women, Jesus was baptized. Baptism is a big deal to us, and the, the scriptures say that God spoke uh, to him and He said, "This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Please listen to Him." And so right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he was baptized and he was given a charge and the spirit descended on him. And right after that, he went through a spiritual boot camp. He was tried and he was tested for 40 days and 40 nights by the enemy known as the adversary, known as Satan. And he was tempted with all the pleasures, position and a pleasure and power from the world. And he said, I am not going to deny God. And God really uh, showed himself strong in that time so that Jesus would learn. Yes, he had to learn. I'm going to rely on God alone. And as the, the uh, guy wrote Deuteronomy said, man, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's where Jesus developed that. And so then he starts his first public ministry and he begins, he goes to a synagogue in Nazareth where he grew up and he walks in and he reads this ancient scroll from this prophet, this holy man named Isaiah, who spoke to uh, the Jewish people, to the Israelites hundreds of years, approximately 680 to 700 years prior. And he had this statement and Jesus was going back in time. I like thinking about the scriptures knowing that Jesus actually went back in time to refer to the Hebrew scriptures in the same way that we go back in time in the 21st century, referring back to the New Testament and calling on the eternal truths of God. And this was Jesus' mission statement. And he quoted it from Isaiah chapter uh, 61 and also Isaiah 58. Isn't it cool that Jesus quoted scripture? And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to talk about how bad the world is and to be sequestered as a Christian and be in a holy huddle and be this gloom and doom prophet of, of you know, no good. No, he says, the spirit of the Lord has, uh, is on me because he's anointed me. Other, uh, other translations say he's chosen me. He's anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was Jesus' mission statement. That is why he came. He didn't come to condemn the world. 
He didn't come to look down on the spiritually bankrupt. The immoral, the impure, the ungodly, sort of just everyday people. He was not the behavior police. He was not the holier-than-thou, self-righteous, spiritual person. He was the one that said, I've got a better story for you. I'm not looking for you just to change your behavior. I'm wanting you to live a better life than the life you're living. I've come to proclaim something good to those who have little. I've come to say you can be free of your habits and hurts and hang-ups and addictions. And you don't have to be enslaved and you can be set free from those. You don't have to be blind. You don't have to stay in blindness in terms of how you're living your life. How did I get in debt? How did I make such bad decisions? How do I uh, keep messing up relationships? You don't have to live like that. You can have sight. You can see. You can figure this out. You can, uh, he, he talked about setting the oppressed free. Just oppressed, depressed, feeling like I can't change. And he said, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You can read about it in Leviticus 25, referring to the year of Jubilee, which unfortunately there's no record in the Hebrew scriptures of the Israelites actually celebrating it in the way that, G that God originally planned. But it was a year where all debts would be canceled and all indentured servants would be set free. Okay? We could use one of those in 2016. However, I don't think it's going to happen. But he said... I'm telling you now, because I'm here, this now is the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, you may be oppressed by Rome. You may be a vassal state. You may be poor financially. You may think that God has abandoned you. You may think that you don't have any hope. But I'm here to tell you, God still has a better story for you than the one that you're living. You think about Nicodemus in John 3, where Jesus, this religious guy, spent his life training in religious legalism. And he says, no, you've got to be born from above. You've got to be born again. There's a better way. You need to worship God and you need to love God from here. And you need to totally have a rebirth. The woman that was caught in adultery, he says, no, I don't condemn you in John chapter 8. I'm not condemning you. You've lived your whole life being condemned by people because of your behavior. I am having compassion on you. And I'm saying that you have value despite your low morals. And I see that you can be better than how you're living. And all these hypocrites that are out there condemning you and all the religious people and all the quote-unquote Christians that all they do is condemn, what help are they? What good is that? He says, I'm here with you, and I'm sharing in your pain, and I don't condemn you. Nor do I condone you continuing to live below who God made you. Leave your life of sin. There's a better life. There's a better story. What about Zacchaeus, the guy that was vertically challenged? He couldn't see like many of us are. He gets up in a tree. He's hated by his friends. He's a tax collector. He's seen as, as someone that doesn't have much to offer spiritually. And of all the people, he says, Zacchaeus, you may be an outcast, 
And you may not be thought highly of by other people. But I don't see you through those. I see you through the lens that God made you and Genesis 1 and those would come out. And you were very good. Yes, you turned bad. But you didn't start bad. There's goodness in you. And I'm going to treat you based on the goodness that God put in you. And not on the evil that you've chosen to pursue. Interestingly, Zacchaeus' name means pure one or righteous one. He was anything but that. But I love the fact that Jesus treated him the way he was named. You are a crook. And even the worst sinners don't want to hang out with you, Zacchaeus. But I'm not treating you based on your reputation or behavior. I'm treating you on, based on your name and who God made you. you. You are a righteous one. You are a pure one. It's in there. And I'm here to build that part of you up. And then uh, Zacchaeus pays back four times, you know, says, I'm going to pay back four times. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this person. Jesus came to give a better story. I love this thought. Jesus wanted something for people, not from them. Christians often are known, unfortunately, right, as judgmental, self-righteous, unrelatable, homophobe, and just bashers of society, right? What a great thing to change the reputation of Christianity by just being a Christian like Jesus, just, just being who Jesus was, right? And saying, listen, if you want, you know, someone to tell you everything's wrong, I'm here to tell you I'm for you and I want something for you. I don't want you to just change your behavior so that I'll feel better about hanging out with you. I want you to see that you don't have to live beneath who God made you. Jesus wanted something for people, not from them. Question, when people interact with us, when we live our daily Christian lives, what is the vibe people get from us? Hey, I want you to change. You need to change so that we can be together. Or how about, you know what, I would love to spend time together because I'm for you. Wherever you are on the spiritual spectrum, I'm for you. And I think the more that you get that God is for you, the more you will change. And I see the best in you and not the worst. And I I will say this. It just means so much to me. I've been so impressed by uh, people in this church who, despite other disciples' weaknesses or obvious difficulties, insist on seeing the best in people. And I just so appreciate that. That's so commendable. I just want to say commendable. Just made up a new word. Keep doing what you're doing. I love this passage. So we looked at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, this is sort of midway through his ministry. And Jesus sees the crowds. Another one of the seven authors of the New Testament, Matthew, writes. Uh, he was a close friend of uh, Jesus, uh, another tax collector uh, like Zacchaeus, uh, who God changed. And he talks about Jesus seeing the crowds. When I go to an airport, I always tell my wife, my wife, where did all these people come from? I'm still amazed at how many people there are in the world. It just is overwhelming to me. And I can see people in my flesh as an, in a distraction or a sort of obstacle. 
But Jesus saw people, and he had compassion. He saw the crowd. He says he had compassion on them because he realized they didn't have a clue what they were doing. They were harassed and helpless. And then so he, you know, uh, he, he preaches. But he, it says Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. So Jesus, there was a through line in his, his ministry. He began with his mission statement. I'm going to preach good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recover his sight from the blind, uh, uh, recover his sight from the blind, releasing of the press, proclaim the years of the Lord's favor. Now what I'm doing is I'm teaching and I'm proclaiming and I'm healing. And that's what you and I need to be about, right? We need to teach what is true. We need to proclaim, yes, in a postmodern, post-Christian, 21st century, the nuns, the less religious affiliation, you know, growing and all that. Jesus is still the hope of the world. But the way that people are going to get it, in fact, actually, I think it's good that in some ways people are becoming less attached to, uh, you know, parochial sort of uh, religious thinking and, and religious groups that they'd be a part of. I don't think people are any less spiritual and I don't think people have any less need for God. But maybe the fact that they're unattached from some other, you know, organizational situations is good. But what are we about not only in teaching proclaiming, are we about healing? And I don't mean like, you know, you're going to be able to heal somebody. I'm talking about, you know, every person has a hidden hurt. Every single one of us. And of course, we look good, you know, brush their teeth, shower, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're good. But if we could talk to each other this morning for 10 minutes, each of us would get to where we're hurting. And there's no one in here that's not hurting somewhere. And what we can do as disciples is say, I know the original physician, the original healer. And listen, compassion, I care. What can I pray for you about? How can I serve you? That is how we are healers in this world. And many people don't have a single person in their life that cares to that degree about them. And it's interesting, when I went to college, I had a lot of friends with social life, but I never, when the guys that reached out to me and, and uh, shared with me, I had never had anyone say, how are you doing spiritually? What, what, what's going on beneath the parties and the sports and school? I'm saying we have the ability to heal. What a great thing in the world to be able to proclaim a message that can heal a hurting and broken world. I love this statement by uh, someone, a pastor that I admire named Andy Stanley. It says, everybody matters to God whether or not God matters to them. Everybody matters to God whether or not God matters to them. That was Jesus' message. Do you realize that more people turned away from Jesus than followed him? You know that more, all the disciples fled, right? His best friends are people he poured into. And it's great to have people who have become Christians, but you know there are a lot of people that haven't become Christians. But regardless, you want to follow me or you don't. You believe in the truth or you don't. You're agnostic. You're an atheist. You're living in the pit of sin. Guess what? You matter to God, whether or not he matters to you. 
And that's the message that we need to carry. That is what I believe we're chosen and called to do. Jesus was chosen to tell the world, I got a better story for you than the one you're living. And that you matter to God whether or not he matters to you. It has changed my thinking. To, be, to my mind, I need to be an agent in the world. That is the message I need. That's my posture. That's what the people that I work out at the gym with or that I see at the grocery store or I see at the kids' school or I see at work, that's the vibe they need to get from me. You know what? I don't agree with what that guy believes. I'm not sure I buy the whole Bible thing, but I get from him that I matter to God. He's important to me. I love that thought, and that's what Jesus did. Look at this message. Now, this is the last conversation that Jesus had the night before he was crucified. This was known as the the Last Supper and and so forth, and it's an extensive narrative, which I encourage you to read. It's really moving. It's in uh, the Gospel of John. John was was one of Jesus' closest friends. He wrote an account of Jesus' life uh, along with Luke and uh, also Matthew, which we looked at earlier. And what's cool about this is from chapter 13 to the beginning of chapter 18, it's one setting. It's one long setting, and John spent so much time. Jesus, during that setting in John 13, he talked about the disciples. He washed their feet, and he says, listen, I'm your king and master, but I don't lord it over you. And in my family and in the kingdom of God, the greatest is the servant. The greatest is not how many people serve them, but how many people they serve. And I, your Lord, I wash your feet, and I'm setting you an example to do the same for each other. And he says, I'm giving you a new command, love each other. Not in some superficial, what I can get out of it way, but as I have loved you. And then he tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And though I'm leaving, I'm going to send my spirit to be in you, and he's going to strengthen you. And because of that, he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. Well, what works had Jesus been doing? He'd been preaching good news to the poor. He's been proclaiming freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight from the blind, releasing of the oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favor, 2015. Yes, regardless of the economy, God loves you. He'd been preaching and teaching and healing, and we are called to do that thing. And Jesus said, you're going to be doing the worst I've been doing. And he says, and you'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And it came true 50 days after Passover, the Pentecost celebration, thousands of proselytes and thousands of pious Jews, and the church begins, and about 3,000 Christ followers, the first day of the church, the day of Pentecost, become disciples. And that's more than all the people that had followed Jesus and had been devout, close followers of his in his previous ministry. Even then, they had done greater things. Not, not, and to nobody's can do something in one sense greater than Jesus, but numerically greater. And here we are today, almost 2,000 years later, and there are billions of people around the world that are saying that Jesus is somebody special. And truly, this prophecy has been fulfilled. You're going to do greater things. I love these pictures. I want to show you these. This is uh, our uh, El Salvador mission team 
that uh, actually they're coming back today. They were in El Salvador uh, ministering, and they're, they're part of a medical brigade. You, you will uh, recognize, some of you recognize Dan Tracy. They're there. This is the mission team as well. You recognize this guy. Let me tell you something. This dude is the best son-in-law. I want to be like him when I grow up. I'm like, he's, whatever you guys did, you know, back in, everybody, Steve, Steve, the whole crew is just, what a good dude. So, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're, you know, serving God there, serving the church there. We're partnering with that church. I know you're, you're partners with uh, uh, other churches, uh, I think, in Central America. And this is the medical brigade that goes every year. and People volunteer to give health care. And some of these, these people in El Salvador, no toothbrushes, never been to a doctor, not taught any basic hygiene, and that's what these people are doing. And there's Derek again, got the gloves on and so forth. Here's the give immunizations. Uh, to these uh, kids that don't have it, and then uh, cleaning up desks and so forth. This is cool. This is a picture of a, a guy. We, we're part of something called Living Water International. It's a great honor for us to be a part of it. It's similar to Hope Worldwide, which we partner with as well, but it's a group we've been part of for four or five years, and what they do is you give them money or you, and you send people and you fund a building of clean uh, drinking water wells uh, throughout the world. And so as of this point, um, this is one that's in El Salvador. This is a mission team we had that went to El Salvador to drill a world, but, uh, well. But at this point, there have been 18 freshwater wells drilled uh, and built by efforts that our church has given uh, this year in Rwanda, in Kenya, in El Salvador, in India, in Haiti, Tens of thousands of people now have clean drinking water, which didn't have clean drinking water before, and people that will never meet. You'll never meet them. And may not, in that sense, quote-unquote, reach out to them, but you're still saying, you matter to God. You are important to God. And your physical health and your spiritual health and your mental health and your emotional health, those things are important. And I share that just to say, it is great to be just, just one small, tiny, tiny part of Jesus still doing his work in this world in the 21st century. I'll show you this picture. This is a Randy uh, next to James Selesky. She was. These are people that became Christ followers in October, and she's a teen, and she was saying, you know what, I love the church. We all know the church. Anybody know the church has problems? Broken? Anybody? I know, except for Long Beach. The church has problems. Okay. So except for, except for here. But it's still the hope of the world. And Jesus still died for it. And still, it's still his bride. And she said, you know, my, I would have, be having trouble at home. And home wasn't fun. But when I would come to church, it was like an oasis. It was the best time of my week. Became a disciple. And this is Cheyenne who was baptized. And this is Brianna who found her place in God's story. And this is Alan, and that's his mom. Uh, who was baptized actually last Saturday. And this is Brent. He was met walking his dog in the park. His mom and dad, he, he was baptized uh, several days ago. His mom and dad flew in from Texas. And he said, from the moment he hit the parking lot, I love what you guys are doing, the greeters are parking lot. He said, from the moment I hit the parking lot, I had never experienced so many people caring about me in my entire life. And I'm saying, talk about a purpose for which to live. Talk about lifting the name up 
lift in Jesus' name up. And I, it, is, it does involve preaching, but I think it involves communicating that you matter to God and that I am for you. I am for you wherever you are in your life. And this is William, and uh, he was baptized last, last Sunday. He's a husband of one of our members. She's been a member in the church for maybe, um, I don't know, probably 30 years, right? Long time. And he was just baptized. There's hope for everybody, right? So I put those up there. I know you can show, as, as I said, you could show same kind of slides. What I'm saying, guys, is I believe if Jesus were here, he would be doing that. That's what he'd be doing. Now, he'd be doing a lot better than us. We're never going to do it as well as he. I get that. I get that. But he makes up the difference. And so I love uh, this thought, and this is uh, what I want to close with. We talked at the beginning about being chosen, right? And Jesus was chosen. Let me say this, one other thing. I want to add this quickly. When I have learned that I want to approach people when I'm studying the Bible, when I'm reaching out to them. In my old days, I used to sort of, you know what, man, i got to show this person where, how they're living wrong, what they're doing wrong. It's sort of like I'm the, you're doing it wrong. You know, that scene of Mr. Mom, I'm like the behavior police. And I heard a message from a guy saying, you know, sometimes we treat people as though we're living in Genesis 3. In other words, the fall, everything's bad, and they get from us, we're kind of down and negative and you're bad but maybe you can change. He says, we should begin the story where the story begins. Now, we have to get to Genesis 3, which is the second part of the story, creation, fall, and then redemption, where Jesus restores the story, right? I'm not saying don't deal with sin, right? Like Reuben said, call people out in their sin in a loving, happy way, with a smile, Okay? But I'm saying we should not start a relationship with someone in Genesis 3. We should start with, listen, in the beginning, God created male and female. And he said that they were very good. And that's the tone that we need to set. Jesus was chosen to say that to the world where the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were the ones that were constantly condemning the world on how bad the world was. We need to be the biggest cheerleaders for We need to love. I mean, this time of life, man, it's the best time. In, I mean, oh my gosh, there's so much. What a great opportunity we've been given to live in this generation to be able to bring hope when there's never been a greater need for hope. Jesus' last conversation, last message, he says, you didn't choose me. Isn't that an interesting thought? Yes, I did. I chose to come to church. I, come to chose, came to choose, I chose to study the Bible. I chose to, I mean, I remember a person asked me, you want to study the Bible? My, my brain said no, and my mouth said yes. I don't know if anybody's been in that situation. You know, I, you, no, I chose, and yes. But do you realize God had to choose you? How long do you think God had been pursuing you before, or me, before we got a clue that maybe I should, reciprocate. And Jesus says, yeah, you had to choose me, but guess what? First, I had to choose you. He says, you didn't choose me. I had my eye on you a long time ago, like before the creation of the world. 
And he said, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so ask whatever in my name, uh, in, my, in my name, and the Father will give you. And he said, this is my command, love each other. And I love this passage. Some of us uh, that have been around for a while, we've heard this passage. And notice, he says, I want you to go and bear fruit. Do you know that, you know, like a, a branch has connected? I have an avocado tree. Actually, anybody like avocados, I'll give you free avocado. Okay, all right. Only a dollar piece. No, no, I can give it to you. I should have. It's a big treehouse in Burbank. What's cool is I don't like, no one in our family likes avocado, unfortunately. Story of my life. I'm sorry, guacamole. I just, I'm sort of a non-condiment person. Tori's a condiment person. Uh, I digress. However, and it ripens in November. It's kind of different. But you know what? When the, when the branch is connected to the tree, it doesn't have to try to bear fruit, right? It doesn't have to work to bear fruit. I've never seen a branch, a branch sort of shaking like I'm going to try to bear fruit. It's, it, if, if it remains connected and it's in season, it's going to bear fruit. We've lived in that house since 2001. Every year, avocados grow every year in season. So many of us have heard this passage thinking that it's on us to go and bear fruit. Honestly, that's not the command. If you look at the passage closely, the command is not. He said, I chose you to go and bear fruit, but that is not the command. The command preceding this is abide in me. Remain in me. Stay connected. If you stay connected, you're going to bear fruit. The command is this, love each other. You stay connected to me, and you love each other, and you love each other more, and you try to figure out ways, how can I love, I, I don't think it's possible for me to love my small group more. My, and, and increasing falling more in love with God and each other. And Jesus is going to do his work in this world through us. Because he chose us. He chose you. You say, well, if he chose me, why is my life not perfect? Because you're not in heaven yet, okay? It's just... Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Don't you appreciate his honesty? Ah, it's going to be fine. No, no drama. No. In this war, you're going to have trouble. I had trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, right? He says that in John chapter 16. So, I hope what you take away from this is that Jesus says, you didn't choose him, but he chose you. To be a messenger of hope, to offer people a better story than the one they were living, to tell people that God wants something for you, not from you. To say that I am for you, regardless of how you're living. And that everybody matters to God, whether or not God matters to them. That's our call. That's what we've been chosen to do. And I know you're doing that. I want to encourage you to keep doing you, keep doing your thing, and keep letting God use you. And let's be the hope 
and the light of the world that he called us to. This time, we're going to do something that followers of Jesus have been doing for almost 2,000 years. And in fact, it was something that was really important to Jesus. The first time he did it was in that passage, uh, that, that setting we just looked at, uh, John um, 15 and John 14. He took some bread, which he says his body, took some fruit of the vine, which he said was his blood. He says, I want you to do this to remember me because he knows that we can get distracted and we have ADD and we can forget. And so he said, I want you to focus on me and remember, remember in this time that you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I knew every bad thing, every poor decision you'd make, and I still chose you. And I still love you. Let's pray together. God, as we pray for communion, uh, help us to just take a moment, take a breath, think about who you are, and really internalize the fact that you have given us such a better story than what we had come up with and what we were living on our own. For those of us that have not yet, uh, who are just sort of, you know, maybe our first time and are just not even sure we get everything or believe everything, I just pray, God, that they will at least hear that you have that hope for them, that there is a better story it's possible to live. Thank you that uh, we matter to you even when you didn't matter to us. Forgive us, God, but help us to live in the security of your love and of Jesus' sacrifice and his forgiveness and may we be his mouth may be what may we be his hands and feet in this hurting world may we be the hope of this world holding out Jesus name we pray in his good name amen Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.